Last week, last Sunday, Nadia Boltz-Weber invited us and reminded us to breathe. And so this morning, as we pray together, I invite you to breathe with me. Let us breathe in God's love and breathe out God's love to one another. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How is your soul? In the years when I had first moved away from home, when I would return, I would visit friends and former teachers to check in and to catch up. I had one friend who, rather than the typical, how are you doing, would ask, how is your soul? And I remember the first time he posed this question being taken back a bit. It's more invasive to answer this question, how is your soul? It requires to look inward at our very beings. In Hebrew, the word for soul is nephesh, meaning life and self. And it referred graphically a bit to throat, that place where they would sacrifice an animal's life. It's a word in Hebrew that is intimately associated with the body, unlike our English word soul, which connotes something that is floating above or in another realm entirely. Nephesh is the energy of life in our body, in our blood, that makes us alive. It's what makes you, you. It's the word for soul in the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. These days, I find my soul stretched between the tension of feeling lifted and feeling completely overwhelmed. As summer began, I was full of hope and the optimism that this would be the summer to get back to doing all the things that we've missed out on for the past two and a half years. That we'd be able to let our guards down from the constant concern of COVID-19 and to feel the freedoms that come with the summer months. And we have, and it has been good. That trip that was canceled in 2020 has been, it was rebooked. This time to Iceland, where this, it was a soul-filling week that I got to spend reuniting with dear friends and enjoying the wonder of a landscape that was as wild and otherworldly as it was beautiful and inspiring. And work trips returned to our summer calendar with the high schoolers traveling to Albuquerque and middle schoolers spending a week at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico. A much different landscape, a little less green, but one that connected us with an ancient history of indigenous people and dinosaurs that inhabited this space long before we did. And it raised in us curiosities of spirituality and culture and caring for the earth and one another. And perhaps the greatest gift of these trips was just the opportunity to be together again. The youth did good work, but we also just had a lot of fun. It filled my soul to see the youth just enjoying being together. Never have I ever received such appreciation and gratitude for the simplest things like ice cream and capture the flag. 
It has done my soul good to partake once again in the things that I love, traveling and experiencing new-to-me cultures and places, connecting with friends in real life, spending more time outside than in, and holding space for youth to be their most authentic God-ordained selves, and just the joy of being together. It has been good, and it has been a gift. And while it has been good, and it has been a gift, it has not been quite as free of concerns as I was hopeful for. When I envisioned the summer, I imagined more or less picking up where we left off. And instead, COVID-19 continues to disrupt plans and keeps us vigilant as this pandemic presses on. While the threat of severe cases is much more minimal, it continues to impact us. I feel like I know more people in the past few months who have had COVID than at any other point in this pandemic. COVID positive cases altered two of the three trips thus far this summer. And while we are getting back to the things we missed, it is not like picking up where we left off. The way things once were seem to have shifted as we experience staff and supply shortages nationwide, and new systems and ways of operating have been put in place, and so sometimes we have to learn how to do old things in new ways. Most are merely just minor inconveniences, but they do add up, and they create this sense of continuously feeling unsettled. It's hard not to grieve and to long for the way things were, for things just to be easy. This pandemic, these past two and a half years, this summer has been and has opened up a season of lament. In many ways, we are a nation in mourning, a world suffering as loss of life continues. And COVID-19 has been at the heart of this season a time when we have watched the death toll rise among us, fearful of catching or spreading the virus and the unknowns of how it would impact. We wonder how we got here and what we will find beyond this time, and if COVID-19 were the only reason that we have to lament, that would be enough. But we also lament that more than 84 million people have fled their homes due to crisis since the start of the pandemic. Some have been displaced by natural and human causes, caused disasters of climate change, which has brought on food insecurity and drought and famine. There are those who have been displaced due to conflict and war. The war in Ukraine has captured our attention and concern as well as it should But this is only one of many places that war prevails to the detriment of lives and human rights and the ability to live in freedom and dignity. We have seen the number of people experiencing homelessness increase on our own streets. It is estimated that pre-pandemic, on average, five million Americans are forcibly displaced from their homes every year due to eviction or mortgage or tax foreclosure or other means of loss. This number is believed to have increased exponentially since the pandemic began. 
And we lament the polarities and divisions which seem to have widened, whether it be religion or race or women's rights or politics. We lament the heartbreak of deaths from gun violence, where places that were once safe, schools and grocery stores and Fourth of July parades no longer carry that certainty. With the emergence of each new crisis, we experience the pain. How can we not? And with each new crisis and concern, I hear again and again from friends, from corners of social media, from parents, particularly those with young children, that these continue to be exhausting and hard days, that the world has become more stressful, that our guards are still up, and we are tired, we are worn down, downtrodden, discouraged, worried, afraid. If you feel tired or overwhelmed, you are not alone. You probably don't need the data about our collective mental health to know that we are living through a hard time, but it can be good to know that you are fact and not alone. So here's some of the data. This is from earlier on in the pandemic, and so I imagine some of it has changed and shifted since that time. At any given time, two in five adults are experiencing significant mental health issues. Three in five young adults are experiencing mental health challenges. One in five of us is having more trouble sleeping, more trouble concentrating, fighting more with a spouse, drinking more alcohol. And mental health is worse when we experience job loss or financial distress or physical illness. One in two adults report our kids are having mental health struggles and one in five report those problems as serious. It's all serious. Mental health is health, and when we are not mentally well, we are not well. Christianity has a millennia of collective wisdom about the ups and the downs of our human condition. Our tradition knows this experience of being overwhelmed by life. It's nothing new. And the psalmist from the psalm we read this morning was familiar with these complexities. The psalm is a plea from the depth of suffering of a suffering soul to the God in whom the speaker trusts for deliverance and mercy. Yet despite this trust, the text is also a cry of desperation. And it points to our loving, our longing for God, not only to deliver us from our troubles, but also for God to see us fully, to know and to see our souls. Turn to me and be gracious to me, the psalmist writes, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of distress. Consider my afflictions and my troubles. This is a psalmist who knows that feeling, that if you feel overwhelmed, this is what's important to know, that there is nothing wrong with you, that you are not weak, that life is hard, it always has been hard, and sometimes it's extra hard. 
Our tradition knows this experience of being overwhelmed by life, and it also knows ways to, through to strength and peace of mind. Prayer and honesty and hope are the way through for this psalmist. It is these three things that we can lean into in times when our souls are overwhelmed. Prayer as an act of soul care, allowing ourselves to be pulled out of the urgency or the crisis, away from the myriad of voices that are telling us what they need from them. It is letting ourselves be drawn into a rhythm of life that is slow and quiet and possibly even eternal. Taking time and appreciating beauty, slowing down, listening, it's all a way of talking about prayer. Second is honesty. When life is too much to bear alone to honestly name the struggle, that we can't heal what we can't name. To reach out and tell someone to share it with someone and then to share it with someone else. Because even though it may feel like it, you are not alone. You are never alone. That is not how God made us. God made you and God made us so that each of us belongs to one another, that we may be here for one another. And finally, hope. A hope that is an overwhelming hope. It's the overwhelming kind of hope that was experienced by the people who heard Jesus read from Isaiah and proclaimed that there is good news for the poor and release for the captives, and the time for that good news is now. It's the overwhelming kind of hope that was experienced by people who heard Jesus speak and preach the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. It's the overwhelming kind of hope that was the feeling of the disciples huddled afraid in a boat as they watched Jesus still a storm with a word. And it's the overwhelming kind of hope that the three women from Mark's gospel experienced when they showed up at a tomb on Easter morning and they found it empty. Friends, there is a wideness in God's mercy and there is a kindness in God's justice. And there is an incomparable joy when you feel yourself gathered in by a love that is more powerful than anything else in all creation. When you know that love has you and holds you. The only word to describe that feeling is also overwhelmed. And may we be so overwhelmed. Amen.